Hey, Prime members, you can listen to Uncommon Ground with Van Jones ad-free on Amazon Music. Download the app today. Is this America, the land of the free and the home of the brave? Wake up, America, wake up! The political division in the country undeniably deep right now. The big question on a lot of people's minds, can Americans come together and heal? I'm Van Jones, and this is Uncommon Ground. Welcome back to Uncommon Ground. This is a show where we explore what it takes to make meaningful change in such a divided country. I'm Van Jones. Now, look, it is no secret that Democrats are divided in Washington, D.C. right now. That's always the case. It's a big, crazy party with a lot of people in it. But there is so much at stake right now with the midterm elections coming. I wanted to take a look under the hood at the Democrats. You know, when I see this party, some folks were saying we're going to get rid of the filibuster. Other Democrats said, no way. (laughs) Uh, Some said, well, at least get rid of the filibuster for voting rights. Other Democrats said, no way. Build back better, yes. Then some Democrats said, no way. (laughs) Reparations, Green New Deal, there are all these different Uh, ideas inside the Democratic Party that have been colliding with each other, the result could be that this party overpromised during the election in 2020 and has now underdelivered in the eyes of some key voters, especially black voters. If that's true, the Democratic Party is in trouble. And it's easy to talk about how we come together across party lines There might need to be some healing and some reflection inside the Democratic Party, especially when it comes to the possible disillusionment of black voters in the face of a party that seems so dysfunctional that it couldn't get as much done as it promised. So that's my concern. And I wanted to have an uncommon conversation with some people who really have their finger on the pulse of what's going on with black voters. One of them is Charlemagne the God, who you have heard of. The other is Teslin Figaro, who you have not heard of yet, probably, but you're going to. Now, look, Charlemagne the God is really famous. He's a, the co-host of The Breakfast Club. He's the founder of the Black Effect Network. And the guy's just a phenomenon. Uh, he's been deemed by a lot of people the voice of Black America. Hard to argue with that. Uh, he's got clout in the streets and in the suites. Very, very hard to achieve that. And uh, he's my guy. I always love to hear from him. I always love to talk to him. But Teslin was the real star of this conversation, even according to Charlemagne. She is a rising star, political commentator. She's the host of her own podcast, which is called Straight Shot No Chaser. Let me tell you, well-named because she is a straight shooter, former Democrat. She became an independent. And she is really plugged into and tuned into the flaws of the Democratic Party. She's unfiltered. She's unapologetic. People call her the hood whisperer. And she just sees it as her role to speak up for black folks, no matter who she offends in whichever political party. And we had a conversation that I'm very happy to share with you. Uh, The three of us may not see eye to eye on everything, but we're all three of us concerned about what's going on at the root of the Democratic Party. And so stick around after this quick break for a real honest, maybe shocking conversation like you've never heard on this show when we get back. 
Do you ever wonder where all your money went? Like every single time you look at your bank account? Honestly, it's probably all those subscriptions. I felt that way too, until I got Rocket Money. Rocket Money helped me see all the subscriptions I'm paying for, and it was eye-opening. Between streaming services, fitness apps, delivery services, it all adds up so quickly. Rocket Money is a personal finance app that finds and cancels your unwanted subscriptions, monitors your spending, and helps lower your bills. Rocket Money has over 5 million users and has helped save its members an average of $720 a year with over 500 million in canceled subscriptions. Stop wasting money on things you don't use. Cancel your unwanted subscriptions by going to rocketmoney.com slash Wondery. That's rocketmoney.com slash Wondery. rocketmoney.com slash Wondery. This episode is brought in part to you by Audible, your go-to destination for thrilling audio entertainment. Whether you're looking for a hair-raising experience to enjoy while you're on the move or eager to dive into sinister and shocking tales, Audible has an exclusive collection of thrillers from best-selling authors that will keep you on the edge of your seat. Like James Patterson's first audio-only thriller, The Coldest Case. Experience stories like never before, where every chilling detail is brought to life by captivating sound design. Plus, as an Audible member, choose one title a month to make yours forever. And now, new members can try Audible free for 30 days. Just visit audible.com slash WonderyPod or text WonderyPod to 500-500. That's audible.com slash WonderyPod or text WonderyPod to 500-500. I am very glad to have both of you uh, on the show. You know, uh, I'm worried. <laughs> I'm looking around. I'm not seeing a lot of reason for hope, and I, especially when I look at the Democratic Party. I don't know if people really realize, I mean, the only reason that we have the little bit of, I don't know, democracy that we have is because black folk have been willing to just go above and beyond, above and beyond, above and beyond. I don't know if that's going to hold up. And so I just wonder, from your points of view, am I right to be worried that the Democratic Party may just not have black support no more? (laughs) am 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 I seeing what I'm seeing? I think you are 100 percent correct. Me and Tez talk about this every day. And, you know, I said when Joe Biden got in office, it was four things he needed to do, you know, to protect democracy. You know, one was to prosecute everybody involved in the insurrection on January 6th, Um, definitely pass voting rights legislation, uh, get rid of the filibuster so he can properly govern and expand the Supreme Court. I still think that's something that needs to be done. I know everybody's celebrating. um, What's the sister name? Uh, Katanji Brown Jackson. Katanji Brown Jackson. And it's something to celebrate, but I mean, it's still a numbers game. You know, it's still a 6-3 conservative majority. You know, you want to impress me, you know, you 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 expand the Supreme Court and add four black women. You know, that, that's how you do something to preserve democracy. I think, you know, for the uncommon ground uh, community, you know, I think the people who pay attention to what I'm doing are trying to figure out solutions. How do we come together, et cetera? But the assumption is always that you have the Democrats here, the Republicans there. How do you get Democrats, Republicans together? But the Democrats are our coalition unto ourselves. And the big pillar in the Democratic Party is the black vote. And I think sometimes people don't understand it takes work to have this coalition work inside the Democratic Party. And if you take people for granted, uh, they take you for granted and they take flight. Uh, What are you hearing? What are you seeing? Are you concerned? I really pride myself on 
Meanwhile, while Democrats are worried about working with Democrats and Republicans, I'm worried about the voices of the streets as well as the HBCU. So from the HBCU to the hood, and that has always been a missing component of the Democrat Party. It has been for a very long time. The connection that was supposed to be there, like when we're saying, oh, should I be worried now? I was worried 10 years ago. You know, I was worried 15 years ago. And there's been this constant cry to be included uh, a part of the conversation in the solutions, but it just has not happened. So you can only lie to somebody so many times over and over. And because Trump got in office, and I, I tell people this all the time, because Trump got in office, those who are on the streets, you have grassroots and then you have concrete roots. I talk about concrete roots because that's even deeper than the grassroots. The grassroots are the NAACP, the Urban League, the elite. But then there's something called concrete roots, really down to the street level of people who have never been involved, who have never been engaged, never even thought they were a part of the system. Trump, because he was so entertaining, he's woke those folks up. So now they can see that, hey, if Trump was able to do an executive order, why can't Joe Biden do an executive order? Hey, if Trump was calling out Mitch McConnell, why is it that Joe Biden won't call out Joe Manchin? So now there is a comparison, especially with this particular generation, that's able to see, oh, I don't know if I'm really buying your BS anymore. And so now when we talk about this is the most critical time, uh, of our election. Yes, it is not because of what they have to lose as far as Republicans are concerned, but the opportunity to engage a different demographic that has never, ever uh, been a part of government, including when President Obama was in office. So when you have those parallels and then the misinformation that's on social media, some that is on purpose and some that is just people just not informed and don't know. You now have a, a populist movement that is not just on the right, that is not just what we saw with the Tea Party, that is not just with the Trumpers. You have a movement that's coming from the streets that are saying, I am absolutely done with all things Democrats. Just last week, the DNC sent out, I did a, a podcast called Dirty Mackin, Dirty Mackin Democrats. For those who don't know, your listeners don't know, Dirty Mackin means you are so busy talking to me about the other man instead of what you can do. That email from top to bottom talked about Republicans. Not one thing, Van, in that email did it say what they've done. Even just, even if you just did something just by default, they didn't say anything that they've done. They didn't say anything they were going to do. It was top to bottom. Republicans did this. Republicans did that. And then it ended with, and don't forget, we don't want Trump in. That's called dirty macking. Tell me what you're going to do for me. And Democrats have always failed in that messaging. So I have to say, is it the messaging? Are you that dumb? Or is this intentional at this point? And are the people right when they say it's two wings of the same bird? Mm. Now, I think some people who are listening to this might be shocked and surprised at literally every syllable that you just said. <laughs> Not just the words, even <laughs> syllables. Um, <laughs> I think the image of the Democratic Party in the mainstream has been that um, has been a very pro-black party. Uh, it's a party for civil rights. Uh, it's a party that you know, John Lewis uh, just put a black woman on the Supreme Court, Barack Obama, Michelle Obama. Uh, and so you're saying that's just kind of surface deep propaganda at the grassroots, concrete roots level. That's not working. That's not playing. What's the mismatch? What's wrong? I mean, if you watch, I don't know, cable news, you would think the Democratic Party is the best thing to happen to black people since sliced bread. What, what's, what's the mismatch? Look under the hood. You know, because all of that sounds good on the surface, but, you know, tell me the legislation. Like, show me, like, show me in the record the things that have been done that actually benefit, you know, the black community directly. The black community solely, not people of color, not minorities, black people. Tell me. You know, I do a, a, a thing that's out there. I talk about pimps, politicians and pastors. They literally have the same speech format. Me, you, us. You know the speech format. Tell you all about me. 
tell you all about you and then talk about us. But that's the same speech format that pimps, politicians and pastors have. And so when you look at Joe Biden, he sold the fact that he was going to heal America. I've always known only God can heal the heart. So why even start a campaign with I'm going to heal white supremacy? Not going to happen. Second, volunteering lives, saying I'm going to pass the George Floyd Justice and Policing Act. The reason why I take that so personal is because I was in the room with the family when he said that. Nobody asked him to say that. Why did you volunteer their life? There's nothing worse, Van, than volunteering a life. You want to be my man? Just say you're going to be my man. Don't say, I'm going to get you flowers every Monday. I'm going to take you out every Saturday. I'm going to do this. I'm going to do that. There's nothing worse than marrying somebody. Is that not true? You date, and then you engage, and then you get married. I want to marry the same person that you were when you were dating, or at least be close to it. So for Joe Biden to volunteer a life, I'm going to pass this legislation by the anniversary of his death. Nobody told him to do that. Nobody in the family said do that. He knows that he could not do that. He knew that he needed Congress on his side. He knew he needed the Senate. He knows he's been in office 40 plus years. Why would you volunteer that lie? And then when you failed, you still didn't take accountability. You still flat out told Al Sharpton and all the other leaders that he met with in January, flat out said, I won't be signing no executive orders. Put the pimp hand down on our leaders, flat out. You know it had to be something for those leaders to leak those tapes. They've never done that. But what I've been trying to tell everybody, those conversations have been going on, but we have protected each other. Oh, we don't want to make sure that nobody knows what's going on behind the scenes. We want to make sure we stay together. Those conversations have been going on. For those leaders that were in that room from the grassroots to leak that conversation, that even told them that enough was enough. And then you're not even willing to show the fight. Democrats never discipline publicly. Oh, let's keep it behind the scenes. Charlemagne said all the time, why don't you show us the, that you have the fight right now with Miss Brown? She's getting dragged everywhere. Where is the Democrat that's going to stand up and say, wait a minute, hold up. So when people don't see fighters, when they don't see that you're willing to put some teeth in the game, that's why people were attracted to Trump. We don't have the same level of fight. It's not that it doesn't happen behind the scenes. Because it does. We all know that it does. But why not do it on the scene so that people can root and at least feel like them? Well, at least you did stand up for me. You may got knocked out, but you did stand up for me. Well, I mean, let's just let's just look at some of the stuff, though, that, that we are talking about. Uh, Charlamagne mentioned the voting rights stuff, that that was going to be really important. Biden did stand up for voting rights. He came down to the South and gave a speech, and it was Black Voters Matter that kicked the legs out from under him and said, we don't want speeches, we want a strategy. So isn't giving a speech a part of a strategy? In other words, I think that there are two different ways to look at what's going on with the Democrats. One is that they're not bold enough. That's what it sounds like you're saying. They're not bold enough. They don't stand for enough. They're not strong enough. So, I mean, I'd sometimes see it the other way. When we passed the First Step Act, we got a lot of criticism because it was a, it was a compromise deal with the Republicans. But we passed a bill, 20,000 people came home from federal prison, got it done. They said, look, Van, we didn't like you doing that. Wait for the Democrats. When the Democrats come, that's when you do the deal on criminal justice. Well, we are done the deal on criminal justice, so let's do the deal on something else. When it came to voting rights, it was the biggest bill with everything in it, 150 different provisions. Nobody could even tell you what was in the bill. No, nobody wanted to compromise on it. We got zero. Maybe that's too bold. Maybe we could have come with something a little bit more modest. Build back better. $3 trillion worth of stuff at first in there. Nobody wanted to compromise. We wound up getting zero. Maybe we could have come with something a little bit more narrow. When it came to uh, police reform, you just mentioned police reform. 
the George Floyd Act had a bunch of stuff in there that I was for and you was for, but they knew it was too big <laughs> to get through. They didn't narrow it down to one or two things to get it done. So is it that we are too bold or is it that we don't know when it's time to actually compromise and come forward with something that can get the votes? Why do we have to compromise on voting rights, though, the cornerstone of democracy? How is black people and brown people talking about our you know, voting rights being threatened? How has that become a far left talking point, something that's considered radical, just talking about our, our simple right to vote? I don't think white Democrats care about voting rights because it's not their voting rights that are being threatened. It's ours. All I'm saying is there are some narrow points, for instance, uh, to, to your point, people should be able to vote. Uh, without being intimidated. People should be able to bring food and water to people online. Uh, th there are things that made perfectly good sense you couldn't argue with. That wasn't the bill. The bill had stuff in there about a corporate donation, that stuff in there about getting money out of politics, that stuff in there about gerrymandering. It had so much stuff in it. And then when you try to you say, well, maybe we can't get all this stuff. Well, now you're a sellout, blah, blah, blah. We need to demand everything. All, all I'm saying is, I'm concerned about the Democrats, but I don't know, are we too bold? Sometimes it's time to make a point. Sometimes it's time to make a deal. Yeah, but but also sometimes it's it's called doing what you can do until you can do better. And and I just believe that's just a piss poor excuse. I'll give you an example. Over 200 cities have implemented some level of police reform since the murder of George Floyd. Over 200. These same politicians, when they got ready to put Joe Biden in office, they organized their ass off, picked up the phone went, stepped all outside of what they could do to make sure that state reps were on board, to make sure city commissioners were on board. They came to the churches. They came to the people. They went here. They went there. They went all out of their way. So even if you can't get something done on the federal level, why is it, Van, that they can't say, hey, you know what? Houston was able to pass no chokehold. Let me pick up the phone and see if I can get Austin to do it. Hey, Colorado was able to pass ending qualified immunity, something that we know is what stopped it on the federal level. Let me see if I can get Oklahoma to do it. Hey, let me let me bump that up. Let me at least let people know that we did get something done in Colorado. Hey, we weren't able to end qualified immunity on the federal level, but New York City was able to end qualified immunity. There were over 200 pieces. L.A. passed some of the most aggressive a progressive police reform in the country. So when you are not elevating those stories, when you are not talking about that, when you're not picking up the damn phone and saying, hey, I would hold a press conference. Hey, I don't know what Joe Manchin and them doing. They're not doing it. But until then, we're going to get uh, Texas to do it. We're going to get Atlanta to do it. We're going to get this. People just want something. They need to know they have something. You're, you're putting forth a very different vision of what a presidency is for and can do than we've seen. Uh, in other words, you're talking about a president as a movement leader. Look, it sounds to me what you're saying is, is that the expectation, people have raised their expectations about what this Democratic Party needs to do if it wants to stay together and keep people engaged. And I think the difference between, say, an Obama and a Biden versus, certainly an Obama versus a Trump, Obama was a, he was a movement leader. Uh, he he led a movement. I don't if you if you were around in 2008, you didn't feel like that was a presidential campaign. You felt like that was more of a movement. It was a, almost like a spiritual cultural movement. It was a pop culture movement too. Yeah, pop culture movement. So he he was like a movement leader who then became head of state. Whereas Trump saw himself, I think, as leading a right wing movement, and he happened to be head of state. But he was leading his movement. The, the main thing he was doing, he was leading his movement. So he was out there with the super rallies. He was out there throwing raw meat to the base every day. Oh, and by the way, I'm also head of state. 
And I think what you're saying is that people now they've seen that model of somebody who just continues to, to raise the stakes, continues to use unorth- unorthodox methods to not just run, but to govern. And you, have, you haven't seen that from the Democrats. And so we never had that point of comparison. Nobody criticized Obama for not you know, doing some of the stuff that Trump had never been done before. But now you're saying we're in a situation where people expect more. Yeah, because even when you talk about, you know, are Democrats too bold, it's like, damn, when you look at what Republicans do, is rolling back voting rights not bold? Is blocking voter rights legislation in 2022 not bold? Is 228 GOP senators voting to overturn Roe versus Wade not bold? <laughs> like those, like think about that. Think about how bold those things that they're doing is. So how are we being too bold just by, by, by trying to protect democracy and protect our rights? I think we have a math problem. On our side, we have a lot, uh, and I think we had to, to, to deal with it, between the gerrymandering, where we get fewer votes in Congress than we're supposed to get, between the fact that the Senate will give, I mean, like what Wyoming has like 500,000 people and gets two senators. Meanwhile, California with 30 million gets the same two. So, you know, big blue states are at a disadvantage in the U.S. Senate. You go down all these different structural barriers. I do think, you know, I'm a pragmatist. You do have to look at the math problem. You, you say, don't worry about Congress. This is new. I've never heard this before. Don't worry about Congress so much. Use executive orders when you can, but mobilize the people to states as president. That's a, a very innovative approach. I think it acknowledges, though, by you saying that, that Congress doesn't have the numbers for us. I mean, you talk about you know, getting rid of the filibuster. Is that why getting rid of the filibuster is so important uh, to you, Charlemagne, that we already have so much going against us in Congress that at least we can take away the filibuster? Yeah. I mean, you know, Hillary Clinton said it the best. You get rid of the filibuster so you can properly govern. I mean, you know, y- y'all can speak to the math more than more than I can. But it's like if, if Vice President Kamala Harris, you know, owns the tie-breaking vote and you can get everybody on the Democratic Party on the same page, which you never can because of Manchin and Cinema. And th- once that happens, if, if they vote and then Vice President Harris own, owns the tie-breaking vote and they can get things done. But you got to get rid of the filibuster to do that. They won't even get rid of the filibuster to protect voting rights. That tells me everything I need to know. That tells me that they don't even care about what black people are doing anymore. They, 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 they're, they're focusing on middle America. And I really think that they're going after that white, blue collar worker. That's who Joe Biden has always said he was, right? The president for white, blue collar workers. He don't care about us. I don't care how many people, how many black people he's standing next to. I don't care who he was vice president to. I don't care who he made vice president. He cares about them white blue collar workers. Am I lying, Tess? No, you're absolutely right. And I, I, I don't. I know this will probably go down a rabbit hole because I know you worked in the Obama administration. But uh, it wasn't a movement to me. It was a movement to get in office. And then in 2010, the movement stopped. They did not continue to organize. People on the ground were not trained. They all downloaded. I remember working with so many different candidates. They printed off organizing for America. They just knew that, oh, yeah, this was the way. And so many people lost. That's when I actually stopped being a Democrat. I became an independent at that time because I was so frustrated sitting on the board of League Women Voters and so many different organizations at that time and saying, you guys are not holding on to the people. It was about getting President Obama elected. And that was it. To me, that's not a movement. A movement continues to push. I say politics until something happens over and over. What's the key word? Move. Do you ever feel like you're settling? For your foundation, that is. Maybelline's new Instant Age Rewind Eraser Foundation doesn't settle into fine lines and wrinkles. 
with SPF 20 and moisturizing pro-vitamin B5. This foundation not only provides medium coverage in a natural finish, but also protects and nourishes your skin. And the best part? The blurring sponge tip applicator makes application a breeze. Say goodbye to cakey, uneven foundation and hello to a flawless, radiant complexion. Try our new foundation today and see the difference for yourself at amazon.com slash instant eraser foundation. It takes the best to set new standards. The best don't play by the rules. They make their own and do it with confidence and class. And breaking the rules to change the game is something BMW knows all too well. BMW has combined sports car power with high-end luxury. From redesigning the dashboard to hands-free controls, BMW stays at the forefront of automotive technology. Don't play by the rules. Make your own. BMW, the ultimate driving machine. Look, you know, I I think one of the things that is very clear when you look at um, Biden in particular, he's, I think, still beloved by a lot of people people like nobody i hate joe biden i wish he was like in, in prison he wasn't like with the last president i think he's loved he's not feared trump wasn't always loved even by his own party but he was always feared because you knew that if you spoke out against him or got in his way you were going to catch it and trump would have had a million nicknames for joe manchin by now it, it, yeah right and 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 two people to, to primary him you know and and and, and the whole deal and so I do think that I agree with you that the, the disciplining mechanism, the way you discipline somebody, you take their money and you primary them and you put them on blast in the media. And you're seeing people in the Democratic Party who are getting in the way of progress, who are not being primaried, uh, who are not having their money taken away, who are not getting put on blast in the media. So it looks like the whole party is at least inept, if not corrupt and in bed with these with these same people. And so I, I agree with you on that. Look, I just want to say as somebody, you know, I, I was in the Obama administration. I've, I've never, never shrunk from criticizing Obama or Biden or, or any of them. I do think that there's a fear among a lot of lawmakers that if they came forward with some stuff that they could pass, that it wouldn't be enough and they would get whooped by, make it up, black Twitter, whooped by the grassroots, whooped by the left. And so what I'm watching is a different kind of cowardice than you're talking about. I think you're talking about a cowardice of the right and and afraid to offend white people. I think there's also a cowardice to offend the black base, the power, to defend the left. To offend, the people don't want to offend people to their left. So they are quiet and let these big, massive bills that they know they can't pass become an expectation. As opposed to being honest, you talk about, you, know, you, you want to date somebody who's going to be honest. Look, baby, we can't buy that car. <laughs> I got a fast pass for the bus. <laughs> Next month, I'm going to be able to get us into an Uber and a Lyft. And at some point, nobody wants to say that to the left wing of this party. Nobody wants to say to the base, we can't do all that stuff. But here's what we can do. We can pass a narrow bill on voting, and we can probably get 10, 10 Republican votes. We could do something narrow on police reform. We can probably get 10 Republican votes. We can do a narrow bill on infrastructure and we can probably get 10 Republican votes. And we're going to have to do that because we, you know, we, we can't get rid of the filibuster. Have an honest conversation and then say, OK, look, say <laughs> we do with the first step back. Let me get this bill passed, show it can be passed and we'll come back tomorrow. I think it's cowardice in both directions from Democrats. 
Yeah, it's cowardice, but let's let's keep it real, Van. It's it's they want to hold on to their seats, their power. So it's it's being a coward. But let's go back to the analogy when you said, Hey, tell that woman I got a bus pass. How many men really want to say that if you still trying to take me home and get me in bed, well, I'm just gonna I'm gonna lie because I want to get what I want. So that means what you have a selfish, a self-centered, you're putting yourself first over the truth. You are afraid to say the truth because the result of the truth is not just about being on Twitter. You are so afraid to give people the truth that they're not going to vote you in office. They don't want to lose the power. So when I say they're a coward, that's why I talk about it all the time, the consequences of consciousness. When are you going to be afraid to lose something? If that means that you lose, if that means that you are willing to die for the cause, what does it say about you? So, yeah, they afraid of Twitter. I don't want to say nothing. We don't need no punks. When is somebody going to say, hey, you know what? Hey, if this means y'all don't elect me, it is what it is. I'm looking forward to the day when somebody run and say, hey, I'm running to lose. If I ran for office, that would be my slogan. I'm running to lose. I don't want y'all to vote for me. I don't want no dollar. Uh, imagine that. I'm running to lose. I don't want a dollar. I'm not going to play a game. You know how people play to be the disruptor and they pretend they're running, but really they're being a disruptor. That would be my campaign. Running to lose. I'm running to disrupt. I don't want a donation. I don't want to vote. Forget you and your mama, your daddy, your greasy head granny. I am going to sit here and I'm going to be a pain in somebody's ass for two years. And that's what it is. The hood say all the time, would you rather be feared or respected? They always choose fear because fear automatically translates to respect. And the Democrat Party don't have either one. And I refuse to sit up here and say, oh, they don't want to get it. They don't want it coming back. No, they weak. Bottom line, you're weak. Let me run a couple ideas by you and, you and you tell me how this would resonate or not resonate. Um, you mentioned that uh, Joe Biden is trying to reach out to his his working class white base. And I think, you know, Tez, you said earlier that, you know, you're speaking directly to black issues. I, I think Charlie said the same. Does it have to be either or? Does it have to be either you go for the, the working class white guy who doesn't understand anything about race or we just talk about black issues only? Should it be a value for black leadership? Since I, the way I look at black leadership is we have to lead everybody. I don't trust any other group to lead everybody. I think, you know, I think intrinsically because our community suffers the most. If you fix our problems, you fix it for everybody. So I think you have to lead everybody. Do we have any responsibility or, or obligation to try to put forward stuff that appeals beyond the black community or no? What did they do when they ran for office? They talked about just black people. See, all I'm asking you to do is keep the same energy you had when you were running. It's not fair to say, well, you know, let's talk about everybody. And then Joe Biden literally stand up and say, I owe you black people. President Obama didn't even say that. He's the only president that said, quote in, unquote, I owe you black people. And then six months later, well, you know, it's about everybody and we got to look at everybody. No, 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 no. When you lift black people up, everybody get lifted up. It's not about lifting up everybody. It's about lifting up black people because by default, everybody's going to get lifted up because black people are at the bottom cast. If you say I'm going to do policy for everybody, then say that on the campaign trail. Don't stand there and say I'm for reparations or I'm this or Cory Booker. I'm yeah, I'm all about I grew up in these areas and it's all about I understand. I know what it means to have homies get shot, this, that. And then you go on, on the Senate floor and say, oh, I'm so glad that you understand that we don't we're not supporting defund the police. Come on, man. Keep the same energy. People are not dumb. That's right. Black people have such a unique set of circumstances in this country. Things were, were done to us systemically that put us in this condition. So there has to be systemic things done to get us out. And they run on policy for everybody now. But we know none of that trickle down stuff works. And I heard you say this, man. You know, one of the things Democrats love to say is a rising tide lifts all boats. But you said black people's vote 
has a hole in it. So, so you got to fix those holes for us specifically. You got to fix our boat specifically. I believe that there's some stuff in our community that and when you have specific pain, you need specific relief. Uh, you know, when you have specific problems, you need specific solutions. Um, I think the genius of black politics has been able to figure out a way to make our specifics have universal appeal. You know, when Dr. King is up there talking, he's talking directly about our stuff, but he does it in a way that the whole world has to move. So I think that the, the, the genius of black politics is to, is to make the specific uh, redress have universal appeal. And then also uh, to put forward stuff, it's hard to argue with, you know, some of the stuff that was used to be, quote unquote, the black agenda. It was black folks who came forward with health care for all. That was a, a, a black agenda item that then became everybody's agenda item. Um, it, was, it was the black physicians that came forward with that 40 years ago, 50 years ago. So universal basic income, too. That was, exactly. that was MLK. Yeah. So, you know, a lot of the stuff that you know starts with us goes goes other places. But let's let's take reparations. Let's take uh, defund the police. Let's take some of this stuff. And let's just take it on. You know, the, the argument for reparations is inarguable. You know, if if your child worked for uh, Target or McDonald's all summer and then at the end of the summer, they said, we're not going to pay you nothing, not a penny. Your family would never shop at Target or McDonald's again for 20 generations because every time you saw that sign, that was the store that worked Uncle So-and-so for a whole summer, didn't pay him. So, and that's, the, that's black, white, brown, whatever. Nobody would accept one summer of a family member of theirs being worked for free. And we did 250 years. And so, obviously, we're, we should be repaid, and obviously, um, we're not going to forget about that. That said... As a practical matter, I don't know what the bill would be. Make it up as a trillion dollars. You know, if you say you want a trillion dollars in reparations to help the black community, that's one conversation. We know what the answer is going to be. White fragility is going to freak out. If you say you want a billion dollars because of present income and wealth disparity, they're going to say, well, you're a socialist. You're trying to redistribute income. But if you say you want a trillion dollars so that the community can have a better tomorrow... Now you're an investor. So sometimes I wonder, do, if we want the trillion dollars, if we talk about the past as reparations, that's a no. If we talk about the present as redistribution, that's no. If we talk about tomorrow, that's an investment. Is it, is it possible for us to get the trillion dollars without having to have the conversation about reparations? Or is that automatically selling out to even have that discussion? I'll, I'll go on that because I, I'm going to even take it because we already know what the talking point is. That's in the past. People moved on. You've got so many other things that can uh, benefit you. Let's just make it even more simple than that. When Joe Biden went to visit the Tulsa massacre, those weren't descendants. Those were actually three survivors, literally. That's right. That are still alive from the Tulsa massacre. He showed up to talk about voting. This is why the voting right conversation goes over people's head because they think it's just another gimmick to keep them in office. So they don't hear that, no, voting rights actually hurts black people. They don't hear one of the things I talk about with voting rights is, no, there's something in that bill that even allows felons to vote from their hometown, not from where they did prison. That's what I talk about the most. They never talked about that. But let's take all of that because we can always go down that rabbit hole. Why didn't Joe Biden, why is he now with my friend, attorney Demario Solomon Simmons, who's pushing for reparations for them right now? He showed up to say, you know what? We just got to keep on voting. He couldn't even bring a gift card, man. You can't even bring Amazon. He nothing. Like the nerve of you. He got money. My friend, attorney Demario, I keep shouting him out. He's an attorney that lives in that community. And they figured out how to organize money to give to the descendants. It wasn't much, but they gave him something. 
So Joe Biden couldn't, nobody in the administration couldn't. So before I even have a conversation about what you would do for our ancestors, you just showed me what you wouldn't do if they were still alive. Come on, at some point we have to deal with this for what it is. It's disrespect to the highest level of disrespect. Even on a broader level, not just black, we watched President Joe Biden at the State of the Union and he spoke on how he was just trying to convince them to buy in the Build Back Better, convince them to do something that could better, you know, the people of America. But yet when it comes to what's going on in another country, that money can just get there with no problems whatsoever. Like they need aid, they need help, here it goes. But yet we're watching you on television sit there and try to convince your people to pass this bill that can better Americans. It's like, wow. So part of it is better communications. What else is in these months that are left, if you if you were sitting in the White House, if you were sitting in the DNC and they said, fine, we're going to do what you say, what could be done? Stop lying. It's that simple. So 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 why to stop lying? But look, here's the thing. You use a lot of a lot of metaphors and analogies that I think are great. And I hope I hope your platform gets bigger and bigger because you make you make more sense than anybody. And inside a family, sometimes you can burn the whole house down because you're mad at your man. You can burn the whole house down because you're mad at somebody, and then you're sitting there with a burned-down house. So we could be sitting here with a burned-down America if we don't do something. And so if if you are a Democrat and you do believe that some of these promises that were made should be delivered upon, what can be done? What should happen now that would reverse some of the things you're talking about? Put a little bit of healing on some of these wounds. First of all, it, it has nothing to do with me being a Democrat. It has to do with me being black and loving my black people. I'm independent. So that we have to be very clear because, see, that's the problem with a lot of these conversations. They're doing it from a partisan angle. I'm a Democrat and I want to fix Democrat because we got to make sure we save democracy. That's what it said in the email. Hey, we got to hold on to our Democrat seats. It literally said that. Save our seats. No, you're supposed to save me, not me save you. So let me be very clear. No, I love black people and 90 percent of black people vote for the Democrat Party. So I just simply want you to stop lying. It's just really that simple. Stop volunteering lies that you know you can't deliver on and do what I said earlier. If you can't deliver there, deliver where you can. Speak up, tell others who are hurting us to shut up and then and then they shut up, take their own advice and stop lying and do what you can and build a coalition to get something done on the state and the, uh, the local level. I'll let Charlemagne give his thoughts. Not mine are just like Ted's. You have to start telling the truth. You have to let people know who's um, blocking progress. You know, you have to let people know the things that you're trying to pass and attempting to pass and letting people know who's blocking it. And you got to start, you know, even though Joe Manchin and Kristen Sinema are Democrats, you have to start looking at them as ops. And you have to start putting them right over there with the Republicans. And when you call the Republicans out and you speak out against those GOP that are blocking your, your, your agenda, you have to put them in that category, too. And, you know, to your point earlier, Van, hey, man, if y'all don't want to call out Joe Manchin, y'all don't want to call out Kristen Sinema, you don't want to run people to primary against them. Well, how about go out there and put some, you know, backing behind the other Democrats that we know are change agents that are running in these Senate races in other states? You know, why are they not down there backing, you know, Gary Chambers? I think Val Demons is running in Florida. Why are they not backing her? You know, people like Sherry Beasley in North Carolina, Malcolm Kenyatta, like get behind some of these people and try to pick up some of these other Senate seats in other states. So, you know, if you 
do happen to do something something in the next three months that changes people's minds and people do go out there and vote for Democrats and they happen to keep the, the, the House and they happen to keep the Senate, now y'all can properly govern, I would hope. You know, so if you don't want to speak out against the people that are blocking progress, how about go support the ones that want to help you advance your agenda? I don't think uh, anybody who has been listening just to the mainstream conversation about what's going on in the Democratic Party has heard 2% of what you just said, especially you, Ted. You know, we get to hear from Charlemagne, uh, but you're a new force on, on the scene. And I'm so glad to have you on this podcast. Look, I think that one of the things that, that does happen is that at the elite level, I think people do get bubble wrapped. You, you already know whoever's going to show up. They know what they can say and what they can't say. They aren't like you, Tez, in terms of like you, you'd rather get fired than tell a lie. Most people <laughs> must be very happy to tell lies to keep in the position. And so, you know, I think it's important. You know, unity is not just between parties, it's within parties. It's, it's not just between racial groups, it's even within racial groups. Um, you do have African-Americans who are very pro-Democrat to the point that they'll forgive a lot of stuff. But there are other black folks who are not forgiving anything because the pain is too severe. People are sitting on a white hot stove. It's not like you got to wait till six o'clock and watch Walter Cronkite. It's 24 hours a day on your phone and you can start making your own connections as to what's happening for Ukrainians, which you know I'm 100% for, but what's not happening at the community level, which I'm 100% against, and people aren't stupid. And the email that you get, you know, you may not even read it because you've seen 57 other things on social media before you even checked your email. And so it's a very different, I think, communications environment. What I come away from this conversation with is that the expectations were raised during the campaign about what was gonna be delivered to African-Americans. And those expectations have not been met during governance. You can have reasons or you can have results. There's a lot of good reasons, but the reality is you're saying is there are no results. And you don't even have the, 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 the opportunity to see, have the satisfaction of seeing somebody at least out there fighting for the results in a way that makes sense. And so when you're double let down, you didn't give it to me and I don't even see you trying, it's very, very tough to then turn around and say, but we're all one party, let's go vote together in November. And, you know, I wish we could put some more sugar on and make it nicer than that. But the things that you say have the resonance of truth. I appreciate having you, you on. And I want and I want to have you, you both back. And I certainly want to have you back. I, I, I tell you, it's uh, I, I wish I could say it's a breath of fresh air. It's a breath of strong air. <laughs> Hot. She's the one. That's the, yeah. that's the, that's the one, man. Yeah. yeah. Well, I, I, I see why. Well, listen. Uh, we'll after the midterms, we'll come back around and hopefully uh, have you back on, and we can we can assess how things went. But I think you know, quit lying is a is as good a slogan as anybody. And I think that if, <laughs> if, if that can't bring people together, I don't know what will. So thank you. That's right, man. Thank you, brother. We see the beauty of hope. That spirit is so beautiful. Those who become American citizens love this country even more. And that's why the Statue of Liberty lifts her lamp to welcome them to the Golden Door. Well, uh, Charlemagne and Tez offer some real raw takes on what's going on. And I hope that major Democrats are listening and I hope that politicians are listening. Some stuff they say really hurts. But the fact of the matter is that the truth hurts and lies hurt more. So to the extent uh, that either political party is going to go to desperate constituencies, either in you know, red counties or in the blue inner cities, and promise the moon 
to get votes and then don't have a strategy to deliver, those are lies. And those lies hurt and they cause disappointment and they cause distrust. And later on, people are going to be mad and they're not going to want to participate. And that's the truth. And that's the truth. And that truth hurts. But don't be mad at the truth you just heard from Tez if you're not going to be mad at the lies that she's reacting to. The problem that the Democratic Party is facing today is not the overpromising. It's the underdelivering. It's not the overpromising. I don't think it's wrong to put forward hopeful ideas and transformative ideas, but I do think it's wrong not to fight for them with everything you have after you've gotten people to believe. I don't want people to stop dreaming. I want people to stop selling dreams, but then being unwilling or unable to cut the deals inside the Democratic Party and beyond the Democratic Party to make those dreams come true. That's the frustration. So, you know, there's a time to make a point and there's a time to make a deal. Uh, There's a time to yell and shout. There's a time to sit down and make something happen. And heading into a very high stakes midterm election year, we need to cut some deals on voting, on police reform, on a bunch of stuff. And you may not get everything you want. We may not get everything that we want, but we can get some things done. And something is better than nothing. And black voters in 2022 deserve a whole lot more than nothing. I think that's what Tess is trying to say. I hope people listen. If you want to hear more from Charlemagne, you can check out his new show on Comedy Central. It's called The God's Honest Truth. And if you want more uh, straight shooting commentary from Teslin, tune into her podcast, Straight Shot, No Chaser. This is Uncommon Ground, and I'm Van Jones. Uncommon Ground with Van Jones is an Amazon original production. It's produced by Magic Labs Media and Wonder Media Network. Our producers are Teddy Alexander, Maisha Dyson, Grace Lynch, Taylor Williamson, Adesua Agbonile, and Lindsay Credible. Our managing producers are Laura D. and Eliza Mills. Our executive producers are Jenny Kaplan and Morgan Jones. Our theme music was composed by The Grand Mess. Publicity for the show is led by Alice Zoe, Andy Lichtenfeld, Didier Moraes, Chantel Muentes, and Sam Petherbridge. Special thanks to Jana Carter, Alex John Burns, Seven McDonald, Drew Schwindeman, Brianna Jones, Eric Carter, Trevor McNeil, Carrie McCarran, Joe McMillan, Steph Walkeen, Vanessa Rebert, Ty Jacobson, Marshall Louie, and Chris Jockerman. Hey, Prime members, you can listen to Uncommon Ground with Van Jones ad-free on Amazon Music. Download the Amazon Music app today. Or you can listen ad-free with Wondery Plus and Apple Podcasts. Before you go, tell us about yourself by completing a short survey at wondery.com survey. I'm Shimon Yai, and I have a new podcast called The Competition. Every year, 50 high school senior girls compete in a massive scholarship competition. I wouldn't say I have an ego problem, but I'm extremely competitive. All of the competitors are used to being the best and the brightest, and they're all vying for a huge cash prize. This will probably be the most intense that you've ever gone through in your life. I remember that feeling because I was one of them. I lost, but now I'm coming back as a judge and also a kind of teen girl anthropologist. Because if you want to understand what it's like to be a young woman in America today, the competition's not a bad place to start. Hopefully no one will die on station night. From Pineapple Street Studios and Wondery, this is The Competition.
Follow the competition on the Wondery app or wherever you get your podcasts. You can listen to the competition early and ad-free right now by joining Wondery Plus.